If love your neighbor is the second most important command in the Bible, then why are Christian churches so void of love for their communities? Why is it such a culture shock when we go into churches and we talk about radically loving the people around us? Well, if you're the kind of person who wants to truly devote their lives to God and find ways to radically love your neighbor, then stick around for today's episode. of Millennial God, where we help believers navigate life, culture, and politics as Christians in America today. All right, this week we are building off of episodes 18 and 20, so if you haven't already, then I highly recommend going back and taking a listen to both of those episodes. Uh, But even if you haven't listened to those two, then uh, I think you'll still get a lot out of today's episode. So for this week, we're going to go over the second most important command in the Bible. Uh, First, I want to do a recap of last week, but uh, overall today we're going to be talking about love your neighbor. Uh, But like I said, first, let's do a recap of last week where we talked about the most important command in the Bible, and that is love God. So uh, last week we went over that Jesus taught uh, that loving God is the most important command, uh, and it's meant to define our lives, right? Uh, And as I discussed last week, how do we show our love to God? Uh, Well, we humble, humble ourselves, we put complete faith and trust in him, and we obey his commands. So humility, faith, and obedience. Every moment of our lives is either in obedience uh, from humility or disobedience from pride. That means that every single second of your life is spent either loving God or not loving him. There is no in between. And it's through that humility and obedience that we are called to love our neighbors, which is the second most important command. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And 1 John 3, 24, it says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And John 15 talks about how if we abide in Christ, he will abide in us and we'll bear, bear biblical fruit, right? Uh, when we humble ourselves, when we put our complete faith and trust in God, he will give us the Holy Spirit to guide us in that obedience. And it can be pretty clear uh, and pretty clearly seen if the Holy Spirit is in our lives or not. As I said, when we surrender and place our faith in God, he'll give us that Holy Spirit. Uh, so it can be seen through the fruit that we produce in our lives. And the reverse is also true because uh, we know that Faith without works is dead. That means that if you aren't producing any fruit, then it's probably because your faith is dead. And if that's the case, then please go back to episode 20 where we talk about what it means to love God because really, you guys, that has to be your top number one priority in your life. That has to be number one over everything else. Uh, That has to be number one. All right. So the command of love your neighbor as yourself. So Once we completely humble ourselves and we place our trust and faith in God, we should see a radical shift in our lives. Specifically, we should should see a radical shift in how we interact with other people, how we love other people. And this is where we see the second greatest command of love your neighbors as yourself, which you can find Jesus talk about in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 34. But the command itself is, is really seen throughout the Bible. Um, So let's break this command down a a little bit. First, I want to highlight its importance because it's second only to loving God himself. Second only to that is you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. But not only that, Jesus says that loving God and loving your neighbors is what the entirety of the law is based on. That's what the rest of the book of the Bible or the the rest of the Bible uh, is meant to tell us is that you're supposed to love God and love your neighbors. 
I also want to say that just like the command to love God, you won't f- uh, effectively love others just by your own efforts. You may be able to go out and do some good deeds uh, that look great from the outside, but eventually you're going to fizzle out because it's all coming from some sort of external motivation. Instead, loving others must come as a result of first humbling ourselves so that we can receive the Holy Spirit. After that, loving others will become natural because it's simply God's love overflowing from within us. So the command is love your neighbors as yourself. I think it's interesting that the Bible includes as yourself. I think it goes to show just how far God expects us to love others. If we clothed and sheltered and fed ourselves today, uh, then he expects us to go and do that same thing for everyone that we come into contact with. And Jesus didn't stop there. Throughout the New Testament, he gives even more clarity to the command, right? He says uh, in John 13, Jesus tells his disciples that we should uh, love one another the way that he loves us. In chapter 13, Jesus even goes on to say that people uh, will know that we are his disciples by the way that we love one another. That means that the inverse is also true. Again, people will know that we aren't his disciples by the way that we fail to love one another. In Matthew 5, Jesus said that we should even love our enemies, not just the people we like, which at the time was certainly seen as drastic. And even now today, as we can see, uh, that that's not the case for most people. They're not willing to go and love uh, their neighbors or, or people that they don't like. Uh, I mean, when was the last time we talked about loving Muslims uh, overseas or something like that? People who, who we generally consider to be our, our enemies, why are we not showing those people love the way that, that Jesus called us to? Uh, in fact, Matthew 25, uh, or in Matthew 25, Jesus even goes so far as to say that he's going to judge us by the way uh, that we love other people, right? And I apologize if some of this is a repeat from uh, episode 18. I just really want to highlight the importance of radically loving the people around us because I think the American church is failing at it right now. And so I really want to dive deep. Uh, So I'm going to hit this verse one more time for, you know, I'm I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard this uh, before or heard me talk about it before, but I want to, I want to really touch on this one more time. Uh, Let me read Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46 for you guys. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate one from another as shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Those verses should terrify the American church because not only is the church not radically loving people like Jesus tells us to do, but we're also an incredibly wealthy nation that just the church alone could actually solve a lot of those issues, but we refuse to do it. Let me say this perfectly clear because the Bible is perfectly clear on this. If you have not humbled yourself, you haven't put your faith 
uh, your complete trust in God. And as a result, you're going through life without feeding the hungry uh, or clothing the naked or giving shelter to the homeless or uh, visiting those in prison, then Jesus will say to you, depart from me. I never knew you. And that should terrify the American church. So if that's the expectation, how did Jesus and his disciples show love? Well, time and time again, I'm going to go back to the book of Acts because the book of Acts is a great picture of what is expected from the church. Let me list out some of the things that the early disciples were doing to love others in the book of Acts. So first, they were sharing the gospel like wildfire. I mean, they were telling everybody about Jesus and about the gospel. They were traveling from city to city and house to house to make sure that people knew that Jesus was supposed to be the Lord of their lives. The early disciples loved people so much that they were, they were willing to knock on strangers' doors uh, in unfamiliar cities to make sure that people knew the truth. And they saw thousands and thousands of people believe because of this. Second, the early church devoted itself to teaching and to fellowship and to prayers. And again, as a result, many signs and wonders and healings were being done. And again, this was resulting in thousands of people believing. Third, uh, the disciples in the early church provided for the people in need. Not only did they provide for people in need, but they considered everything that they had, all their food, all their money and their clothing and their possessions, they considered all of that to be in common with everyone else uh, so that if anyone had need, they could give whatever was necessary. And Acts even talks about how when that didn't cover the need, they would the, the people in the church would just sell their possessions. They would just sell their stuff. And then the church would distribute those proceeds to anybody who had need. And then later it talks about how uh, when even that wasn't, it wasn't even limited to their stuff. It was, you know, they, they might sell their land or their houses or whatever it might be uh, they were selling because they just loved each other so much that no matter what, the church would be willing to uh, make sure that everyone's needs were met in their community. And again, because of this, thousands of people were believing because of how the disciples and the church loved one another. Just like Jesus said, people will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. They were living that out in Acts. And fourth, they were suffering for one another. Uh, just as Jesus humbled himself and he suffered for us, uh, his disciples suffered as well. They were imprisoned and persecuted and tortured and killed on behalf of their beliefs and everything that they were doing to share the gospel and love the people around them. All right, now, compare that with the current Christian church in America. Would you say that the church is on fire for the gospel like the early church was, like the early disciples? Are, are we sharing the gospel like wildfire? Are we devoted? Are we uh, providing for people in need? Are we suffering, right? When was the last time you or your church went house to house to tell people about Jesus? When was the last time your church had any sort of intentional discipleship or any sort of evangelism in your city? There's a reason that the early disciples didn't just call everyone to a single building and have a single speaker talk at them at week after week after week because it doesn't work and the church will, be, will inherently become unloving and uninvolved whenever we do that. What about devotion and unity? Are the members of your church truly devoted and unified? Are they unified with other churches? Is the community so close-knit that it's like a family and you just want to spend all of your time together and all you want to do is get together throughout the week and eat together and pray together and study the word together? Is your church's faith so strong that you're seeing miracles and healings inside of that church? What about Christian giving and how we take care of those in need? Some of you have probably heard me say these stats before, but uh, did you know that 96% of all Christian giving goes to church administration? 96% of all Christian giving goes to salaries and rent and building projects and coffee. That leaves just 
3% of all Christian giving to go to local outreach. So things like homelessness and poverty and addiction and abortion and the orphans and the widows and the imprisoned, they get 3%. They get the leftovers. They get what your church has in excess. What it didn't spend on donuts and coffee, that's what they get. 3% is nothing. That's not solving problems. That's giving just barely enough to make people in the church feel good and make them feel like they're doing something when in reality they're doing nothing. The church is called to love the people in its community so much that needs are completely met, that people are healed, that nobody is homeless or goes hungry. And yet every single time that I step into American, an American church, I see extravagant affluence. The churches in your community have the money and resources to end, not just to uh, make a dent, but to end some of the problems that our society deals with. We're so wildly unloving that we'll gladly build a new auditorium or put in new sound equipment or buy more donuts before we ever think about how we're going to take care of the people in need in our communities. And even less than that 3%, all of it leaves just one single percent of all Christian giving to the uh, disciples reaching the 3.2 billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus. I can promise you that your church will spend more money this year on coffee than it did fulfilling the Great Commission and sharing the gospel with every nation on earth. I can promise you. You want to know just how unloving our churches are? Just think about that. 3.2 billion people have never heard the name of Jesus, and only 1% of our giving goes to supporting the people out sharing the gospel with them. And finally, when was the last time anyone in your church suffered for your faith? I would argue that we probably, we don't actually live in a free society. If your church was truly living the way that God calls uh, us to live, then I promise you, you would be facing persecution. Our society is fine with Christians doing nothing but going to church once a week and praying inside their homes. But so much more is expected of us as Christians. Myself and the people that we work with, with have had our lives threatened. We've had the police called on us. We've had property destroyed. We've been harassed and defamed and had trash and bottles of urine thrown at us. But most of us just give our leftovers, and we just love our comfort more than we love others, right? Does that really sound like how we've been called to love the people around us, that we're just supposed to give them the leftovers, and we're not supposed to sacrifice? We're not supposed to face persecution or face other people who don't believe, don't don't like what we're doing? All right. Even though I am very critical of the church and of people who call themselves religious, which I'll point out that Jesus was too, But even though I am very critical, I'm going to hope and I'm going to pray that if you're listening to this podcast right now, you have a genuine interest in devoting your life to God and loving others the way that he calls us to do. So if that is you you, and you are listening to this and you are truly in the process of devoting your life to God and you want to love your neighbors as much as possible, you're probably asking yourself, where should we start? And for the last portion of this episode, I'll try to provide you guys with some very tangible things that you could start doing today to go and love your neighbors. These are things that you could go start in your community right now, right after you listen to this, this episode. So in Acts 1.8, Jesus tells his, his disciples that the Holy Spirit is with them and that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So that model basically means that they're going to share the gospel in their local city, in their province and country, in the neighboring regions, and then finally to the farthest reaches of the earth. Well, Today, let's start with your local city and state. I'm going to walk you through some ways that you can start doing this today just in your local area. Again, that doesn't mean that you completely discount uh, or, or forget about you know the ends of the earth, but 
today, it's pretty hard to reach somewhere uh, to the ends of the earth. So I'm going to give you some tips on how you can start doing this today. So first part of this is going to focus on what you can do here in the United States, because again, I want all these things to do uh, to, to be something that you can do as soon as you finish this episode. And then I'll get to some priorities for uh, overseas ministry after that. So let's start with hunger, right? This is something that's, that's listed out by Jesus as hunger. Uh, well, in 2020, over 60 million people in the United States turned to food banks and community programs to put food on the table. 60 million people. That's including more than 17 million children that faced hunger. That's roughly one in four children in America and the wealthiest country on earth that faced hunger in 2020. So what can you do about hunger? Well, you can donate food to food banks and homeless shelters. You can find students through your local school system that need additional food, or you could start a full-on food drive. One really effective technique that we've seen a church do is during the summer when kids aren't in school uh, and they won't receive those free lunches, some of those low-income students won't receive free lunches, uh, the church provides free lunch for any school-aged children, child in the community. I think that's a great step. Uh, I think that is a perfect example of what the church is expected to do uh, in its community. There are kids who are going, going hungry in the, in the summer because they're not getting that free lunch that school provides, and so the church will step in and provide that for them. All right, what about homelessness? So there are over 580,000 people currently homeless in the United States, 580,000 people. I'll just say up front that uh, the money, the resources, the manpower, they already exist among the churches in your city to house, treat, and mentor every homeless person in your community. Hands down, this is a solvable problem, uh, but it requires unity of resources and it requires the love from the church. Uh, you can actually be the one uh, to organize churches together. Uh, now, for a lot of you that, that may be outside of your expertise or, you know, outside of your, I don't want to say comfort zone, because I think we, we need to push ourselves out of our comfort zone, especially when it comes to loving our neighbors. Uh, but it may be outside of your expertise to get all the churches inside of your community together on the same page and homelessness. So uh, if you want to do something about homelessness, you can always start uh, just by donating food or clothes to a local shelter, or you can volunteer at a local shelter. Uh, you can start a Bible study at a local shelter uh, just to better understand the local needs or, uh, and this is one that we should really be doing, all of us should be doing anyways. You can just stop and talk to the homeless people uh, that you see and ask them what their needs are. Uh, and you can go out and buy them whatever they need. Uh, I've done this countless times and people almost always ask me for uh, either a meal or some specific uh, piece of clothing. I almost never get asked for money for drugs or booze or just money in general. Uh, a lot of times they will almost always ask me for some clothes or simply for a meal. All right, what about being imprisoned? So at the end of 2019, there were over 2 million people in prison in the United States. In fact, the U.S. actually has the highest incarceration rate in the world, but uh, there's quite a few uh, prison ministries out there. So if you know that you want to get involved in prison ministry, I would recommend checking out an organization called Prison Fellowship. Uh, but there are quite a few organizations out there that do this kind of ministry uh, that allow you to get plugged in and involved over at, uh, over at some of the prisons in your local area. All right, what about orphans? I feel like this is a problem that we don't hear about in the United States very often because uh, the United States did get rid of orphanages officially. Uh, but that doesn't mean we don't still have a orphan issue in the United States. So there are currently about 440,000 orphans uh, in the American foster care system, meaning that they don't have a permanent family or permanent residence. Uh, oftentimes, these children get overlooked because most families prefer to adopt a newborn. Uh, and so a lot of times these are older kids. So children that are slightly older get passed to the 
kind of passed to the wayside uh, and put into the foster care system. And quite honestly, a lot of times they just get forgotten about until they're old enough to graduate and go out on their own. Now, there are lots of mentorship programs out there, but ultimately these children need to be adopted into permanent families that love them. So I recommend that you reach out to your local state foster care system to find out more inf information. We actually have some friends who uh, have adopted out of foster care, and it, it's usually much faster than trying to adopt a newborn uh, through an agency. So if that's something you're interested in, if, if you know you feel called to um, uh, to work with orphans and, and take care of the orphans, just like Jesus called us to do, then uh, I would look into your local foster care system. All right, what about uh, illegal immigration? So for reference, about 10.5 million immigrants live in the United States illegally right now. Uh, and many come over with very little money or resources or anything to survive. And as un unfortunate as it is that we don't have a better pathway to citizenship to de-incentivize de uh, illegal immigration, guess what? You can still simultaneously want effective border regulations that protect the country and also help out immigrants that came here with nothing. Chances are there's probably somebody in your community or in your church or in your school that is in the country illegally. And I would recommend offering to help them uh, get on their feet and help them find a pathway to citizenship rather than just hating them for coming into the country. Don't let this be a political issue. That's kind of my last note on this. Don't let illegal immigration be a political issue whenever it comes down to are you going to help out the person down the street or not? Uh, like I said, you can simultaneously disagree or want stricter border regulations just to pervert, preserve the safety and uh, the sanctity of our nation. Uh, you can simultaneously want that and still help the people down the street from you who are struggling to get on their feet and find a way to help them get citizenship. All right, let's get to abortion. So you guys probably know that uh, or by now that abortion is one of the issues that I most often talk about, and it's one of the issues that we're actively trying to solve at the ground level. Over 800,000 babies are killed in the womb every year just in the United States alone. Current estimates say that over 63.5 million children have been killed in the womb in the United States just since Roe v. Wade. That was in 1973. In some cities like New York, more black children are aborted each year than are born. This is an enormous problem in our country. It's a genocide. And people will talk and talk about how they would have been the ones in Germany standing up to the Nazis. And those same people will continue to do absolutely nothing about the atrocity of abortion. Please listen to me very closely because I make this point all the time. Politicians will not solve the abortion crisis. They will not end the genocide. Democrats outright support it and Republicans use it to rally their base during elections. Both sides benefit from the continuation of abortion in America. It is your responsibility to end abortion. It is your church's responsibility to end abortion. At the very least, your church needs to be a place that young mothers can come to in a time of need and know that they'll be loved and the church will provide any necessary resources to support the mother and child. As you'll hear in next week's episode, it is very uncommon for churches to have a reputation of loving young, impoverished women who have unplanned pregnancies. But quite frankly, every church should be doing more. Every church should be out in front of abortion clinics to talk and pray with mothers before they go in for an abortion. And every church should be willing to provide any necessary resources to ensure that a mother does not go through with an abortion. If your church isn't doing those three things of uh, establish a loving culture, speaking with mothers at clinics, and providing every ne necessary resource, it's quite frankly because your leaders are cowards and your congregation is unloving. As a side note, if you're thinking to yourself right now, well, I would love to help out with some of these problems, but 
none of my friends or the people I spend time with are really struggling with any of these issues. If that's you, if that's your situation, then you really need to spend your time in a drastically different way. If you're never around people who are struggling, then you're spending your time in a way that brings you fun and happiness rather than the way that God has called us to spend our time. And lastly, out of all these problems, Jesus commands us to not only take the gospel to our communities and to our people, but to the ends of the earth, like I said. Again, all those those issues that I listed out before, uh, they're very prevalent in the United States, and you can start today uh, in getting involved in solving some of those problems at your level. But he also says to go to the ends of the earth. He even gives us the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where he, go, where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. All the problems that I mentioned above exist overseas as well. But really, many of the problems overseas are exponentially worse than they are here. Just in my travels alone, I've seen extreme poverty and starvation and murder and rape and injustice. And not only that, but I've been to places and met people who have never heard the name of Jesus. Like I mentioned before, 3.2 billion people on this planet have never heard his name. Unreached People Group ministry is growing and it is very necessary. We need significantly more laborers to get involved in overseas ministry because if we don't, then billions of people will go their entire lives without hearing the name of Jesus Christ. If you're interested in reaching the unreached uh, or doing overseas ministry in general, then I would highly recommend considering long-term investments in places. Unfortunately, we see a lot of people who are uh, basically just Christian tourists who go to countries and do as little as possible uh, to make themselves feel good, but that's not genuine love. Uh, if this is something that you are considering, then please look into long-term missions. I would recommend Frontier Alliance International uh, or Global Catalytic Min Ministries. Uh, our company, Rechurch, is also in the very initial stages of building overseas ministries, so feel free to reach out to us as well, and we can probably answer some questions or point you in the right direction. All of the problems that I've listed out uh, so far in this episode have solutions, and most of them are solutions that you can start and you can get involved in today. And if you're still not quite sure how to get started or how to get your church mobilized to do this at a community level, not just the individual level, but a community level, uh, then please reach out to us over at Rechurch. Uh, we exist to train churches to live out the gospel in their communities. That's why we exist. We will meet with leadership and identify problems and work with the community to develop solutions, uh, but we can't help if the local church doesn't ask for it. All right, so like I always ask, who is in charge of your life? If you're calling the shots, then you probably aren't living the way that God calls us to live, and you probably aren't seeing a radical love for others in your life. But if you have home of yourself and you put your trust in God, then now is the time to start doing something about it. It's time that you show God's love to the people around you. If all the people who call themselves Christians lived in the way that I've described during this episode, our nation would look completely different. Our planet would look completely different. And like I said last week, if I had to identify a singular cause of why the American church is so unloving, disobedient, filled with false teachers, and has so much wealth, while surrounded by people that are struggling to survive, then I would say it all goes back to the fact that the vast majority of people who call themselves Christians in America are not willing to humble themselves and put complete trust in God. Loving and helping people in need is not only what's expected of us, but it's the most effective way to share the gospel. Your love for others should look radical. It should be extreme. You should be willing to sell off your stuff or your land or your house or whatever it takes to make sure that people in your community are taken care of. 
but unfortunately the vast majority of Christian of churches across the country are failing right now at loving God and loving their neighbors. We prefer comfort over sacrifice. Because of our church's failure to love its neighbors, babies will continue to be killed in the womb down the street. The homeless will continue to live without shelter and without clothes and without food. The hungry will continue into starvation. Orphans will live without committed parents and billions of people will never hear about Jesus because of the church and its failure to love others. God bless. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Millennial God podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to hit subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a review. Uh, If you ever want to reach out, you can find us anywhere on social media. And you can also send us an email at millennialgodpodcast at protonmail.com. That's millennialgodpodcast at protonmail.com.